the morning show. The home team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Right here on 960theref.com. What's up, everybody? Sam Franco, Chris Brain, back with another exciting edition of the Crossover Podcast. That music you hear, a little bit of new, new for you as, look, Modest Mouse treated us well for 45 episodes, but it's time to make a change. Bring in some Drake, trying to make things a little more current around here. A little God's Plan is the name of the He's a big Raptors fan, you know. He is, and we will get to those Raptors here in a little bit. So on LeBron. the crossover. That is correct. LeBron will be after uh, they won Game 7, a Herculean effort from LeBron James to get them to that series with the Raptors. And we'll get to that in a little bit here on 960theref.com. Um, but we're, we're going to start off today talking NFL draft and the dogs, and, and we'll get to the NBA playoffs, and we'll cap things off today with a little talk about the latest and greatest craze to be hitting professional baseball. And that, of course, is Ronald Acuna Jr. So we'll, we'll hit all of that stuff uh, coming up. But first, like we said, NFL draft and the next great middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears who have had plenty and the first dog off the board, Roquan Smith. Yeah, the two best drafts easily were the Patriots and the Bears because they both drafted two Bulldogs. That is correct. So they they win the draft according to our panel of experts. That's right, and uh, the Bears taking Roquan there in the first round, and then the Patriots taking Isaiah Wynn and Sonny Michelle in the first round. So uh, good picks uh, for those teams for sure. Javon Wims also being drafted by the Bears on day three of the NFL draft. Surprisingly, the only player from Georgia drafted on Saturday at the draft. And we're obviously going to talk a lot about the players that did get drafted, but uh, an interesting case is Trenton Thompson, who leaves Georgia after his junior season, could have stayed one more year, decided not to, doesn't get drafted. Well, you know, and so this draft really sums up two things. I mean, we see what Michelle and Chubb make the uh, commitment to come back for another year, and it definitely improved their draft stock. I mean, Sony would not have been a first-round pick a year ago, uh, and here he was. And then Chubb was, what, the fourth pick of the second round? He probably wouldn't have gone that high had he left after his uh, junior season. So coming back definitely paid off for those two in the long run. And, you know, here's Trenton Thompson now who could have come back, but – uh, decided not to. You know, it was really interesting because I was thinking uh, about December and in the lead up to, you know, that downtime between the end of the SEC championship game and before the Rose Bowl, the reports coming out of, uh, out of, uh, out of Georgia was that Thompson was leaning and looking likely like he was going to return. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he made the announcement that he was uh, that he was going to leave and, and go to the draft, which seemed to be as a bit of a, su- a surprise because uh, the tea leaves seemed to be indicating that he was going to come back. So I don't know if he ended up getting bad advice or, you know, look, it, he's going to sign on as a, as a free agent. He's going to be getting paid in some way, shape, or form to play football next year. And maybe for him it was just – um, you know, he's got his family, he's got his own personal life to think about, and coming back and playing in college for another year just wasn't something that he was in a position that he wanted to uh, to do. But it was definitely one of the surprises of the draft because for a while there it looked like, I mean, you know, he was like a first, second round kind of prospect. And then, yeah, it's just crazy to watch a guy tumble <laughs> like that, and you know that the talent was there, obviously for a for a you know at least a second round selection. 
and unfortunately, sometimes some of the off-field stuff, some of the uh, you know uh, stuff in between the ears, uh, doesn't always translate to the next level. And obviously, we hope for nothing but the best for Trenton Thompson, but uh, just a, a case where maybe coming back would have been to his benefit, uh, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it definitely appears that way. But you know, at least not getting drafted like late in the draft, it gives him an opportunity to just find some situation that uh, you know might be a better fit as opposed to some team just taking a flyer on him, which brings me, by the way, to the Falcons quickly, who did commit my great pet peeve of the drafts, and uh, they used their last pick of the draft on a linebacker from Yale, and that's yeah. gotten to be the thing that just irritates me, and, and I'll bring up Thompson. I mean, why not take him? And the guy didn't get drafted, John Atkins. I mean, when you get to the sixth round of the draft, I mean, who, I mean what are you doing taking a linebacker from Yale? Yeah, I mean, but hey. Are you, are you fooling everyone else out there that you see something about that guy that no one else has figured out? Hey, they signed David Marvin. Um, They did? He's yes. one of their – okay. Well, they signed <laughs> David Marvin. Good. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, here's the thing. Like, I don't know. Tom, there's a reason Thompson went undrafted. I get it. But we've also seen that the guy's – I mean, potentially. I mean, he's, he was one of the best run stuffers in college football. And it would have filled a need for Atlanta as well. <laughs> yeah, and I know they took the kid from South Florida. I don't know much about him at defensive tackle, but... The big dude, and that's all Yeah, I really but I know. mean, that's just the thing. It's like, it, you get to the, the the sixth round, it's your last pick of the draft, and I mean, if you're just going to throw a dart and take a linebacker from Yale, I mean, why yeah. not take a guy that played, you know, at Georgia? Oh, I agree. And, and, you know, Trenton ends up signing with the Browns. It's so funny how Nick Chubb, didn't choose to go to the Browns. Trenton Thompson ends up choosing right, to yeah. go to the Browns. But uh, uh, switching gears to the the players that you know were such great ambassadors for the University of Georgia, and you look at just only what five picks apart, how different you know your paths can be. I mean, Sony Michelle gets drafted at the end of the first round, goes to the New England Patriots, and Nick Chubb a few picks later gets drafted by the Browns. So well, and, yeah, and it's interesting because. You know, I thought the the Patriots taking Sony at thirty one was an odd choice to me because they've got Rex Burkhead, they've got James White who caught fourteen passes against the Falcons in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I, know, I get they're going to have to get rid of somebody. They've got uh, Jeremy Hill, they've got Mike Gillisley. Odds are one of those guys is going to be cut. But I think I, Sony's better than all those. But guys, I don't. So. Yeah, but I don't envision him being like their three down running back. No, He's but that's how another, they that's they employ though. I mean, that they have like the scat back kind of guy that can do a lot of stuff, and then they have. They're sort of between the tackles, guys. Right, which is, which is why, like, why would, you t- why would you take a guy like that at pick number 31 when Lamar Jackson's on the board? But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, like, Sony's go- Sony was the first round was a first-round draft pick, but he's not going into a, a situation where he's going to be the man. Nick Chubb is going into a situation in Cleveland where he's going to be their man. Oh, yeah, but I still think Sony Michelle's going to have a hell of a season. I, I think that the- they will figure out how to utilize him to best benefit their team. And I think that he is, he could take the league by storm. Oh, I yeah. Really I mean, they didn't get so. a bad pick, but, no. I mean, they aren't, James White caught 14 passes in the Super Bowl two years ago. Yeah, but you know Bill Belichick loves the value, so maybe James White ends up on the cutting block. You know what I mean? It, it just depends. I mean, he, he likes, you know, having guys that he doesn't have to pay a whole lot, and Sony's going to be on the 31st pick's salary, right. which isn't near what a lot of other guys would be. So I think they're getting great value there. And win. I mean, now to have two UGA players who are going to be on the Patriots' offensive line, I don't know if Win will battle for a starting position. Although you don't usually take a guy in the first round on the offensive line and don't plan on starting him. So uh, if he does indeed, you know, slide in there, and you've got two Georgia players and Boss Andrews, and I say a win on the Patriots' offensive line, look, Bill Belichick, and, and you know, this is going to be a hot take here. Bill Belichick drafts SEC players 
and the Patriots win or go to the Super Bowl a lot. Imagine that. Right. But the reason they do that, though, is because they have a quarterback who went to Michigan. Well, of course. Yeah, I mean, the re- I mean, Tom Brady's the reason why that team is winning, winning, winning. Well, of course, but I mean, also, you look at all the other players, though, that have played in the SEC, especially on defense. They love SEC players or players that kind of fit that mold. And I'll throw a Miami into that as kind of the same kind of thing because, you know, Vince Wilfork is a guy that was very successful there. But it's just unbelievable for for the Georgia guys, uh, for two of them to go there. And, you know, Sonny Michelle and Isaiah Wynn will have very good chances of picking up Super Bowl rings in their rookie seasons. Yeah, and, you know, David Andrews already has one. Malcolm Mitchell's there. He's already has one, which brings me to, I mean, the Falcons have a very good chance to play in the Super Bowl, too. If they're playing New England, I mean, who are you rooting for? Do you want the Falcons to oh, win? Oh, well, I mean, come for, on, man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rooting against the Falcons. Okay, but right. I, I will With say, those Alabama receivers. And let's not forget John Atkins, either. Uh, John Atkins also signs undrafted a uh, free agent uh, contract with the uh, with the Patriots, so he'll have a chance to compete, try to be on that team as well. But the Falcons, I loved the Calvin Ridley pick. I really did. I did not want Taven Bryan, uh, the defensive tackle from Florida. I, I just didn't think that that's going to be a move that necessarily improves you a whole lot. Whereas, you bring in a Calvin Ridley who can play some on the outside, but it seems like in this Falcons setup, you'll have Sanu and, and Jones on the outside and Calvin Ridley in the slot. And he will be perfect, I think, in the slot for that offense. And I think what that pick signals is that, look, Dan Quinn is very confident in his ability to scheme and his defense and in the players that he has pan-picked for this defense. And if he didn't see anybody he thought could be a difference maker on it, then you go to the other side of the ball. And I think the philosophy for this team is going to remain bend but don't break. Although even last year, the Falcons were a top-10 defense. Yeah, and what the Falcons have this year, eight of the eight of Atlanta's opponents this season, half the schedule had top ten passing efficiency defenses. Right, and you've got to get better in right. the receiving core. And a ninth one, Arizona finished eleventh. So you basically have more than half your schedule against really good elite defenses. Although they did cut the honey badger in Arizona. Yeah, which is Peter Peterson's still there. He's though, still there. Right? Yeah, right. but I mean, so you know, I, I I I like the pick too, but more that like I didn't love Calvin Ridley is, for example. Dallas got rid of Des Bryant, and if a team was drafting Calvin Ridley to come and be their wide receiver number one, no. I think Calvin Ridley was going to be a bust. So for me, like Atlanta was actually a really good fit. It's all about the fit for Calvin Ridley mm-hmm. more than Ridley's like a really good fit for somebody else because he doesn't have to come in and be the man. I you totally know, agree. Right. You got Julio and you got Sanu ahead of him. He's basically wide receiver three to replace Gabriel, and I think yeah, he's got a chance to have just an enormous season with the Falcons, and I prefer drafting him over the dude from Florida that I was barely aware of. Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. I mean, And look, again, I just don't think that that would have been a pick that would have impacted your team as much as Calvin Ridley will. I think that's going to they're going to find a great way to use him on offense. Uh, um, Sarkeesian's already familiar with Ridley because he was the uh, you know offensive coordinator for one game at Alabama and, and was a, I guess he was an analyst or whatever they wanted to call it for them for a while. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he's familiar with the player, so he knows what his strengths are. So I think that's going to work out well. And look, like I said about the philosophy, Falcons are going to be a team that Dan Quinn is very confident in his scheme and his ability to scheme game in and game out for the different offenses they're going to face. So they're going to try to outscore you. You know, they're going to be a team that bend but not break on defense and try and outscore us because we're going to score a lot of points with Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, uh, Calvin Ridley, Austin Hooper, Matt Ryan. We're, we're going to, and of course the running backs, Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman. Uh, and this will probably be Coleman's last season in Atlanta, so maybe I know that they drafted that Edo Smith 
uh, that running back whose nickname is Ito because when he was a baby, his parents thought he looked like Judge Ito, which is a fantastic reason <laughs> that, to nickname someone. Which that. is also sad because it shows like how old we are. Right. Yeah, that there's a kid now who is playing in the NFL who was named be- because he looked like the judge from the OJ trial. I know, man. It makes you feel yeah. a little bit long in the tooth there. But I think the Falcons did a great job. I think was it NFL.com graded them at like an A-. minus. Uh, so, I mean, I, I thought they had a good draft. Again, like you said with the Yale linebacker, at that point you're just throwing darts. Well, yeah, and I mean, so my 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 you know my my official policy would be just take a guy that played somewhere big. Then I mean, because yeah. you're, you're taking a linebacker from Yale. All right, um, yeah, they took the wide receiver from LSU, and I mean the the running back. And, and I get it. I mean, either Freeman, both Freeman and Coleman will not be on on the team at, beyond this season. Um, and you know and this guy did rack up a, a pretty you know, good uh, amount of yards rushing over the last two seasons at Southern Miss, but like he wasn't even invited to the combine. So it's just one of those picks that uh, you didn't need to make in the fourth round. I mean, he, he might have been a guy you could have gotten as an undrafted free agent, but you know, so be it. I mean, the first three picks were positions you, you knew Atlanta was going to grab, you know, maybe in a different order, but defensive tackle, a cornerback, because beyond Trufant, Alford, and then William Poole. That's a pretty thin position, and that kid Isaiah Oliver out of Colorado was, I mean, he was viewed in a lot of the lead-up to the draft as a potential first-rounder. Yeah. And, um, like, I was watching one of the uh, the Thunder Jazz playoff games about a week ago, and Adam Schefter was the sideline reporter. Oh, yeah, they do that every once in a while because he likes the NBA. <clears throat> okay, so he was interviewing Billy Donovan, you know, coming out of a timeout, and granted, Billy Donovan caught him off guard, but all of a sudden Billy Donovan was like, Hey, but uh, what do you think about the draft? You know, who are the top cornerbacks in the draft or whatever? And so, again, I'm sure Adam Schefter was caught off guard, but he was, you know, so off the top of his head, he was like, well, Derwin James, and he went Isaiah Oliver out of Colorado. Nice. You know, again, I mean, that's how this guy was, I think, perceived coming in. And so for Atlanta to get him when they did, I I mean, that's probably a a good pick. So, you know, the top three picks I like, I mean, after that, you know, again, you're just kind of rolling the dice. But if you are just rolling the dice, I mean, maybe take a shot at, like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a guy that played at like Georgia or Ohio State well, or yeah. USC yeah. or something like that. But on Oliver, I did see an interesting stat from Pro Football Focus. He faced three, like in terms of the one-on-one matchup, he faced three drafted receivers this season or this past season, and he only allowed six completions out of 15 attempts for like 77 yards with no touchdowns. I think uh, like three or four pass deflections. So against the top-level talent that he faced, he was very, very good. So yeah. I think that was a shrewd pick by Atlanta no, as well. I, yeah, I like those those top two picks. Again, I don't know much about the defensive tackle from South Florida, but that's fine. That's a position that they need. Right, so we'll and, see. Uh, yeah. yeah, so we'll see about that. But, you know, after that, again, I don't know. I, mean, I they, thought they should have drafted Cam Nizalek in, like, the seventh round because they're going to need a punter. Uh, I mean, I know Bosher's still there, but, I mean, how much longer? I mean, he's been there forever. You know, yeah. like, how much longer is he, he going to be Yeah, he has not signed with anyone yet, and I thought that would be an interesting one, but the Falcons apparently thought David Marvin would be the better uh, undrafted free agent uh, Georgia special teams guy to go after. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, what did you think of the Browns draft? Because here's the thing. They had four picks in the top uh, 35, and, and Nick Chubb, I love that pick for them. I think he'll be good. Baker Mayfield is just such a – a 50-50 toss-up kind of guy where I really thought they reached was taking Denzel Ward fourth. Uh, me too. Especially with Bradley Chubb on the board. Yeah, I mean, to leave him on the board was uh, crazy. And I don't know, maybe they wanted, they they had um, tried to, to deal and they didn't have any dance partners there, but they did, I mean, they got the highest rated corner in the draft, but um, 
but certainly it was a reach at four. I like the pick at one. I mean, to me, Mayfield was the top quarterback I'm in the draft, you. so they took him. So yeah. I don't have any issue there. And then that's they, the thing. I think he was a top quarterback in college football. You think he was a top quarterback in college football? How's that going to translate to the next level? Right. But, and, but here's the main thing I love about Mayfield. You look at what he did with the talent around him versus what Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen did with equal or maybe better in some cases talent around them. Baker Mayfield was way better. And, and I mean, Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, you know, Sam Darnold threw a lot of picks. Those guys did not win enough for me. And I don't think that statistic gets looked at enough. You know, it's the game tape. It's how big this guy's hands are. It's this guy's neck size. It's all these stupid things that get looked at when bare bones minimum you should be looking at is did this guy win? Baker Mayfield did and way more than Sam Rosen or Josh Don- or uh, Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen. And and the thing with Darnold too that I just don't think is going to be you know you're going to correct moving up a level in in play too is the turnover thing. <laughs> Not just the the interceptions, but he fumbled a lot also. Right. You know, and if you're fumbling in college, I mean, you're going to be fumbling a lot in the pros too. So I mean, the only guy I've ever seen make a really big adjustment on that in his NFL career was Tiki Barber. You remember in the beginning of his career, he used to fumble all the time. Right. Then he changed away, carried the ball, and like never fumbled after right. that. But that's something that's very hard to correct. It's because it's your mentality about being careless with the ball. Right. And I think Darnold's going to have a lot of trouble with that. I agree with you. And then the Bills jumping up to take Josh Allen also seems like just that very was the worst high pick of the draft. potential. Yeah, that was the worst <laughs> pick of the draft. I mean, Josh Allen is no good. He wasn't good in college. He wasn't even good in community college. So he's not going to be good in the NFL. He's not going to suddenly turn into a great quarterback in the NFL. And the Bills traded up twice to get him. And, and drafted him ahead of Josh Rosen. And drafted him ahead of Lamar Jackson. Um, who were both superior college uh, quarterbacks. So... That was, uh, I mean, easily not even close, the worst pick of the draft. But in our books, the Bears and the Patriots had the best drafts because they each took two Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's a lock. Yeah. yeah. And, no and Roquan, by, if, to, for me, before the draft, I had Roquan Smith and Derwin James are the two guys, like, if, you know, w- what would you really, like, you know, stake on the players that are going to be five years from now? All pros, and no doubt about it, stud draft picks, no chance at busting. Roquan and Derwin James were my, uh, were my two. And for Derwin James to have fallen as far as he did was pretty shocking. And uh, before we jump into the NBA playoff talk here, I did want to ask you about your Dolphins and Mika Fitzpatrick. I thought that was a gift from the heavens for him to fall that far to you guys. Yeah, I like the pick too. Now, I, I got – excited momentarily because all of a sudden you got to pick number 10 and the Raiders were sitting there and Josh Rosen was still on the board. I'm like, oh my gosh, Didn't the, trade up, the Dolphins are going to get Josh Rosen. And then, yeah, just like that, the Cardinals trade up and they, they get it. And as soon as the Cardinals traded up to 10, you knew what was happening. But yeah, I mean, I love the, uh, the pick of Mika Fitzpatrick. And I love that tight end out of Penn State too, uh, Gisecki, yeah. that they took in the second round. So yeah, all in all, I think the Dolphins did okay, but you know, the Dolphins, unfortunately, are still saddled with uh, Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback. And until they do something about that, they're just they're not going anywhere. You are tuned into the crossover here on 960theref.com. Sam Franco, Chris Brame, along with you, switching gears to the NBA playoffs, where I can't remember a first round of the NBA playoffs that was more intriguing to me than this one. I, it was really good. It was as good as it's been, I mean, probably since like the 80s or 90s or something like that because the first round usually just stinks. Yeah, I was a little upset that my man Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks couldn't get the job done against the Celtics. I was really looking forward to seeing a Giannis versus Joel Embiid matchup, but that's not what we're going to get. 
Uh, we're going to get 76ers and Celtics, and we're also going to get the Cleveland Cavaliers, who barely escaped uh, the Indiana Pacers with a series win. Uh, they are going to take on the Toronto Raptors, a team Cleveland just has Toronto's number. So I'll tell you this. Uh, if Toronto doesn't win game one, watch out. You know, that's one of those where it's going to start getting in their head. So they really need to come out and win game one and put a stamp on things. Yeah, Cleveland is not afraid of Toronto. No. And, I mean, it should be the other way around, quite frankly. But Right, um, but, I mean, I understand. I mean, LeBron James even said it after game seven against Indiana. He's like, I'm, I'm burned. I'm tired. I need to go home and sleep. Don't even ask me about Toronto right now. I'll get to that tomorrow. <laughs> like, he definitely has been taxed, and he's been playing a lot. And quite frankly, he's the only one consistently giving anything up for Cleveland. So I, I, I think it's going to be very hard for them to win that series. I know Cleveland's not scared of Toronto, but unless other people start to step up a lot more, it's going to be tough for them to win this series. Yeah, I mean, because it is. It's definitely taxing on, uh, on LeBron at this point, but I'm still – my mindset is when I, when I see him not in the NBA Finals is when I can be, begin to believe that he, uh, that he won't be. And, you know, even in that series against Indiana where they lost game one badly, never led in it, and then ended up uh, – they blew a big lead, what, in game three and were down 2-1. Mm-hmm. You know, they still come back at the end and uh, – and still pull it out and win it. So, and really, I mean, because if LeBron needs to, he is capable of just completely taking over that uh, uh, over any game and not really needing any assist from uh, from anyone else in that Cavs lineup. It's so funny how I mean, if you look at the way the playoffs broke down, the East is actually pretty chalky. You got you got one verse four and two verse three, uh, and then I mean, it's still kind of chalky out west. You got one verse five. And uh, two versus six. The Pelicans, a surprise there, as nobody really gave them a chance to. In fact, every ESPN expert that picked that series picked the Trailblazers to beat the Pelicans. Uh, But the Pelicans uh, having a good series against Portland. However, uh, game one of their series with Golden State, which uh, happened uh, this past Saturday, blowout city uh, for the Warriors. And they still don't have Curry back yet. They're thinking he may come back for game two. But there's no reason to believe you're not going to get two versus one out west. Uh, especially because the Rockets also dispatched of the uh, the Jazz with relative ease uh, in their game one. So out west, it looks like things are going to go one versus two. But I really do think that in the east, I think I think Philly is the team that's going to make the NBA Finals. Yeah, it seems like that's the uh, everyone is kind of back in the uh, the Sixers all of a sudden. They've got Embiid back playing, even with that. Uh... That freaky mask he's wearing. But I loved what Embiid said when uh, he was asked about like the possibility of LeBron James joining him in the offseason. He was basically like, thanks, but no thanks. We're good. Like He, he says oh, they really? can win the NBA title without him. Okay. Which I think is kind of funny because I've, I've been saying all season long that that's the best landing spot for LeBron. Like right. If he could get his way to Philadelphia, which he couldn't because he can opt out and, and be a free agent. I mean, can you imagine a front line of and I know I say front line I know LeBron pretty much plays every position but a front line of Simmons Embiid and LeBron James good grief <laughs> well yeah they'd probably like uh, I mean they would basically threaten what Golden State did a couple of years ago absolutely barely losing oh yeah no just doubt be, it would just be a matter of like because you know what Golden State found out that year after they ended up blowing that 3-1 lead and losing the finals it's like well was it worth it in the end so you look at them this year. I mean, they basically – I know they had a bunch of guys injured, but at the end of the year they basically just went into cruise control because they knew they were the two seed. No one could pass them, and they couldn't pass Houston. 
So I mean, over their last 17 games, like they were pretty terrible. Um, but you know, here they are in the playoffs now, and what they've lost one game, I guess. The, the Spurs did beat them once, right? But, you know, they're rolling right now, even without Curry. But it has been like the 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 series have been pretty good. But at the end, I think it's like 18 consecutive favorites have won these games. Yeah. So I mean, really. There's not – I mean, even with Utah, and I know that was the 3-6 matchup, right? No, 3-6 was Pelicans and uh, Trailblazers. That's right. That was 4-5. Yeah, yeah. But um, even with, like, Utah and Oklahoma Utah City. Utah was the 4-5. Yeah. I mean, the the favorites in those uh, in those series just kept winning every game, and the same thing was happening in Boston and Milwaukee. So, the favorites in these individual games are, like, are, are winning them all. Yeah, so I don't think I even need to ask you out west. It looks like we're going 1-2. I mean, obviously with Houston and Golden State. Yeah, yeah. And then in the East, I'm going Toronto and Philly. I, I just don't and, – and I know that it seems really dumb to doubt LeBron James at this point, but I just don't see them being able to win a seven-game series with with right now with the way that they're uh, – LeBron's usage. It's just, it's just off the charts right now. What's the deal with um, – like Jalen Brown got hurt the other day. Is he now out for Boston? Oh, I didn't uh, know if uh, – Well, in, uh, when, when did they play again? Uh, Saturday? Tonight. tonight. Well, no, no, no. But when did they play Milwaukee? It was Saturday, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like he got hurt in that game. And I think he left it and never came back. And by tonight, I mean Monday. We're recording this Monday, yeah, publishing yeah. Tuesday. Just have so, to th- we always have to throw that out there. Yeah, I don't mean I don't know would that be potentially another guy to watch out for out of that. Uh, yeah, he Celtics is. Uh, he's doubtful for game one. That's yeah. all. That's all I've seen so, so far. So I mean, I'm with you on the uh, on the Sixers, but Tor- uh, Toronto ain't beating Cleveland. Come on, you know. Okay, oh, on. I mean, if LeBron, I I will be more impressed than I've ever been with LeBron James in my entire life if he gets this team to the NBA Finals. Yeah, he's the best player ever. I mean, well, come on. Let's let's not go off on that tangent right now because I don't want to get all mad about Michael Jordan. But I will say that right now he's, he's obviously the best player on the planet, and it's not even close. Yeah, well, he has been for like a decade now. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's he, not losing to Toronto. Come on, Sam. His usage, though, man. He's, I mean, it's how just, he's a young man still. Yeah, I mean, it's just un. I mean, he's he has been playing like this. Pretty much since he was 18 years old. I know. How old is he now? 32, 33? Yeah, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, eventually. Look at the shape he's in. I there. mean, well, I don't know. He started cramping up at the end of that game seven against Indiana. I'm just saying. I mean, not even the end. Like, he had to miss part of that game because of cramps. So. He should go ahead and, like, shave his head, though. If Talking I were like them. Tiger. I mean, why does Tiger not shave his head yet? Well, that's a good point. But, I mean, if I was, if I were them, I, I'd sit him for a game. Like, I, I, I would just, I would give Toronto a game. I'd be like, all right. Here's one game for y'all. We're gonna we're gonna like our chances of winning four out of six with a fully rested LeBron James. Well, like say they win tomorrow night, then like sit LeBron in game. Do two. not play him in game two. I mean, right. if you win game one in Toronto, why would you play him in game two? Because then you at that the home point, court. you have to win three games out of five. Yeah. So yeah, maybe. I, I I just think he needs rest, and he even said it. So, all right. Before we uh, get out of here on the podcast today. We have a Major League Baseball player to talk about, and not just one, because obviously Ronald Acuna Jr. is one of the most highly anticipated Braves call-ups ever. Yeah. And he is delivering so far on a uh, very good stretch. He's hitting uh, something like 420-something in his uh, first few games with the Braves. And him and Ozzy Albies together, I mean, Albies is on a tear. Right what is now. he, like eight or nine home runs already? Uh, nine home runs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hit another leadoff home run uh, yesterday uh, in the win over the Phillies. 
So the guy is just continuing to rake. He and Acuna are just spurring this offense. And let's not forget Freddie Freeman, obviously. But, I mean, the Braves were a team that nobody really was giving a chance to do a whole lot this season. And I know that they're pitching, particularly their bullpen, but also a lot of their starters aren't great either. If this team actually had decent pitching, they might could contend for a wild card spot. Well, maybe you know, maybe Gahara will come back at some point. I know uh, there's some some rumblings that Mike Soraka might get a start here within the next couple of days. But Saturday was a pretty good example, or maybe it was Friday's game, whatever game Tehran started, where the Braves scored three in the first inning, and then he went walk walk homer, and it was tied just like that. That's 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 the most Julio Tehran thing I've ever yeah. heard. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, that's just uh, the end of the day. I mean, Atlanta's pitching; it is. It's a good start, but we're still. It is only a still April, of course. And um, I just for one more day. <laughs> if for one more day, it's still April. But that that pit, the Braves pitching is not good enough to hold up for the it's next not. five months. It's not, and that's the problem. That that's my issue. Which why haven't they gone after a frontline starter? You know, and they're like, well, we're still rebuilding and still in the process. It's like. Well, did you not think you could be what you've been in April? You know what I mean? Did, did they not think that? And, and are, the, are they being caught off guard by this? Because if they are, that's unfortunate. If they're not, then why the hell didn't they go out and bring in a good frontline pitcher? Yeah. Well, I mean, they've got a couple of these young arms in the uh, in the farm system, and maybe they will get a chance. I know Gahara's been on the DL, and you know, again, Soraka, I guess, is the the next hot shot who could be uh, brought up. But um, we'll see with him. But for at this point, when you were dealing with uh, Tehran, um, you know, Fulton Nevich is, I mean, he's all right, but he's it, just it, so shaky. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, well, the guy, guy's going to end up with what, a brought a four ERA. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a good, maybe fourth or fifth starter, but he, he's not a front line. And here's my issue too. It's like, you look at what the Astros have done. And I think a lot of people are comparing what the Braves are trying to do to what the Astros did. It's like, that's fine. But the Astros didn't win the world series until they brought in a front line, you know, front line help. You know, they had their guys that they brought up Keuchel, uh, and some others, but they bring in Verlander and Charlie Morton, and that's what put them over the top. And, I mean, that's what you got to do if you're the Braves. You need a veteran arm that's really good to go alongside with all of your young pitching. Yeah. And well, I'm just and he, I'm just frustrated as a Braves fan that they don't seem to have enough trust in themselves this year to where they think they could contend. And you've got um, – I mean, at some point, too, they've got to figure out that I mean, what to do with Tehran. Get rid of him if he can't pitch at home. Yeah, I mean, well, he can't pitch anywhere. I was in Philadelphia this weekend. Yeah, it's three true. nothing, and he goes walk, walk Homer. The experiment has run its course. You know, yeah, I, I think it's time to move him on. I would really like to see them put some money into a starting pitcher, and I would also like to see them sign Bryce Harper, which I'm hearing more and more could be a possibility. And he's starting five straight opening days. The Braves signing Bryce Harper. I'd love that. Can you imagine an outfield of Acuna in Ciarte? And Bryce Harper. And Harper with uh, Freeman, Albies, you know, Dansby, I guess, is doing Jose fine. Bautista at third base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bautista at third, then Suzuki and Flowers, the catching <laughs> platoon. You know, but then if, if Tehran is still the team's uh, ace, forget it. I mean, there's not, you're not going to win no, with that you're lineup. Not. You're not. And, and I think they're going to get past that at a certain point, but you've got to commit some money. And money to be spent and Bryce Harper would obviously be a pipe dream I'd love it if it happened but you need to go out and get some pitching well, that's yeah. what you got to do quite frankly I mean I'd probably rather have Max Scherzer than Bryce Harper well of course but you know just just to to lure in the kids to get the kids interested you got to bring yeah. the guy who's trying to change it for being a no fun league and telling people that they're asking clown questions and a who, guy who will literally run headfirst into a wall to try to make a catch 
Well, I mean, the smartest thing he's ever done. Scherzer's got those two uh, different colored eyes that makes for a cool bobblehead, though. Oh, there you go. Didn't even think about that. All right, that'll wrap things up here on this edition of the Crossover. Sam Franco, Chris Brain, thank you so much for joining us. We will be back again next week with another exciting episode of the Crossover right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain on 960theref.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.